Hello, this is uh, John Lenahan here on magicconventionguide.com. I'll be in Southport and I hope to see you there. This is the Magic Convention Guide podcast for the 5th of September 2009. We're here with John Lenahan, who is going to be appearing at the British Ring Convention in Southport in September. Thank you for your time, John. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, I mean, you kind of shot to fame a couple of years ago for various reasons. But before we get on to that, um, when did you come over to the UK? Oh, I came over a long time ago. I, 1984, actually. Well, I came over to this side of the pond in 1984. I came over uh, just traveling around as a street performer. I went to Ireland and I traveled all around Ireland as a street performer and then lived in Tenerife for a while, kind of just getting by on whatever I could do out there. And then uh, and then when I came back to Britain, uh, I went to the Edinburgh Festival and then I came down, well, I, I, I wandered down in 1985. I wandered into Covent Garden, not even knowing about it. it uh, they had the Time Out Channel 4 Street Entertainer of the Year competition, and uh, I just I, I won the Street Magician of the Year, and uh, um, I don't know, the rest is history. Then I met a girl, and I married a mortgage, really, and, <laughs> and then uh, I never left. So was it always street magic that you did, or did you start, you know, younger with kind of just standard close-up stuff, or has it always been the street you've worked? Well, I wasn't, I, I didn't start doing magic until I was in, in you know, university. Uh, probably one of the main reasons why I flunked out of university is I spent all the time uh, learning how to do magic. Um, uh, and then when I got, uh, when I left university, I got a job as a bartender, uh, which is a really, which is a, a better job in America than it is here. I worked in a very nice uh, cocktail bar and uh, I used to do a, a new trick every week for my regular customers. They'd come in and uh, they'd give me tips and it was great on a Saturday night too. There'd be three bartenders behind the bar, and you know it's really busy. But w once a bar really gets going, it's kind of easy to maintain it. Yeah. So uh, once all the rush was done, and, we, and then we, we just got to the maintaining stage, the other two bartenders would say, "Go ahead," and I wouldn't have to bartend anymore. I just do magic behind the bar because we split the tips three ways, you know. Uh. Uh, so they, they were happy for it, and so uh, that was really good fun. Uh, and that's how I, I learned my trade. And then um, I saw Penn and Teller on the street in Philadelphia. And yeah. I saw Teller. I just thought I'd love to give that a go. <laughs> and uh, and I, but I often say that Ronald Reagan made me a professional magician. I I went on holiday right after Reagan became president, and um, Reagan deliberately started a recession. It was called the Stockman recession. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I went on holiday when it happened, and it happened really fast. And when I came back, my job wasn't there, huh. and so I had to I had to start doing magic to uh, to kind of pay my bills. And ended up doing better than I ever did uh, with that. <laughs> and then for years, I worked I worked for Sheraton Hotels doing uh, close up magic in their big like dinner theater type shows. And then when I started really getting into the street, uh, that's when I thought, gosh, I could just I could travel around the world for a year, and that was 25 years ago, and I'm still on the trip. Because <laughs> you've done lots of other magic. You've done TV, um, you've done theatre stuff, you've done comedy-type um, venues as well. When did you make the switch from doing sort of pure street magic to, to effectively what people probably know you know you for doing now, mad, uh, yeah, magic on TV um, and theatre-type yeah. work? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the stuff that I really think 
I really should be known for, if any of it isn't that, it's the club work. It's the, uh. it's the comedy club work. Um, um, what happened was, is that, you know, there was a real, there was a real vibrant uh, performing community in Covent Garden of street performers, some great, really talented people. Uh, but saying that, I, I went up to them and all, I said, what about these comedy clubs? How do you get in them? And they all, I know it's real hard to get into and they don't pay much money and all this kind of stuff. And, so I just picked up a Time Out magazine and I called every comedy club in town and uh, I got open spots, really. I mean, saying that, I called up Jonglers. Jonglers now is famous for, if you want to get on the Jonglers uh, list of performers, you have to um, you have to do like a five minute spot and you have to do that like, you know, four times. Mm. And it's, you know, it's it takes like. It takes like six months just to do that. <laughs> then you get, then you have to do ten month spot, ten minute spot, and then finally you get into the roster of being a performer. And I called them up and said, you know, I, I, I want to do an open spot. And Maria back in those days, and she said to me, "Are you good enough to do a whole spot?" And I said, "Well, yeah." And he said, "She said, okay." And that was it. I was, <laughs> I was on stage that night, and I, and I never stopped working for him for ten years. Um, so yeah, it was kind of nice. And, you know, I, one of the things about doing open spots is that, you know, coming from the street, I, I was actually a good act. You know, most open spots are, are dreadful. So it's yeah. it's quite yeah. nice being an open spot that's good. You know, you get up there and audiences are expecting pain and then they actually, uh, they love you. And it. Uh, so I got, I just, I dropped right into that comedy club circuit almost instantly. Brilliant. Um, you've done, you've done lots of other things as well. You've, um, you know, your small claims to fame, you've been the voice of the toaster on red dwarf and you yeah that was great obviously yeah. i know <laughs> um and you kind of popped up in various places like that um all the stuff you've done what's the i suppose the the most favorite thing you've done the thing that sticks in your memory yeah I, you know my telly career has been very very checkered and uh what my favorite thing i ever did on television uh, no one's really ever seen um because ITV just completely messed it up. Yeah. Uh, I did a show called Hoaxbusters. Right. And uh, uh, I, we went around and we recreated classic hoaxes and scams. So we went to America, to like the Ideal Home Exhibition in America, and we sold Americans holidays in uh, Buckingham Palace. And uh, they were queuing around the block to buy that. And we, uh, <laughs> we, uh, you know, we sold people parts in Richard Gere films. And that was my favorite thing I ever did. Uh, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the night it was supposed to go out, ITV pulled it three hours before broadcast, and then pulled it again like nine times in the year. <laughs> it was just, it was, it was literally maddening. Actually, drove me completely bonkers. But telly, telly was good fun. You know, I did a, I've done a handful of telly, just as a presenter and stuff. And television's always fun because it's a, you know, it's a team effort. You know, uh -huh. being a, being a solo magician comedian is you know it's it's a lonely job really because there's nobody to to share the experiences with really it's just you just show up you jump on stage and then you you, you get in your car and you drive home oh, and so doing telly is great because it's a there's a team you know putting everything together the other problem with telly is that once it's done you hand it over to a bunch of uh, idiots and and they they mess it up after you're long gone. <laughs> they edit it and they can it. Yeah, well, they're not even editing it. It's not even editing it. Because usually, you know, you have a little, not the I have say in, in edit, but you're you're still involved during the edit and the voiceover and all that. Now, it's when it's actually done, you hand it to the the powers that be at the, at the, at the television channels and they, 
you know, most of the time, because the, the staff changes so quickly, the guy who, who you give it to isn't the guy who ordered it. He, uh. He's long, he's been, he was fired two months ago. <laughs> and the new guy gets this, this uh, bit of tape in his hand and goes, and, and, and what is this? And who are you? <laughs> you know? I mean, that's, that's, that's the reality of British television. Yeah, but I mean, the, I mean, quite a long time ago, there used to be a lot of magic on TV. Um, there was obviously things like Stuff the White Rabbit, uh, The Secrets of Magic. Yeah, that that was a fun show. Stuff the White Rabbit. We did Stuff the White Rabbit for for no money, mm. and we did it like in a week. Uh, and and I still think uh, a lot of that show is some of the best magic that was on British television ever. Yeah, I mean, I was looking through some of the videos I've got of it because um, I think there was only six episodes six of them yeah there there was a pilot as well that uh only went out in on in granada that mm. had a couple of other things in it so i mean why do you think that there's i mean obviously objective put out a lot of uh magic related stuff but there's compared to maybe 10 years ago there's very very little magic on tv now do you think that's a uk thing or just generally audiences changing over time well you know i i i truly believe really that um Television isn't a good medium for magic anyway. I mean, hand on my heart, there's never really been magic on telly that that I really find as compelling as seeing a performer live. Yeah. Uh, say, saying that, I, I, I feel the same way about music as well, you know? Uh, but uh, music's doing all right on telly, but um, uh, but saying that, you know, this, you know, it just never competes with, with it live. And, and I think magic's the same thing. You know, that, there have been some breakthroughs, you know. I mean, uh, Blaine was a breakthrough. I mean, Blaine mm. kind of taught us all how to how to make telly, you know, exciting on, you know, magic exciting on telly. And then on the back of that, um, you know, you, you know, on the back of that, you have well all the stuff that Objective is doing. Mm. But saying that Monkey Magic, Monkey Magic was really good fun. Yes, the, and, the, and that that was almost an old school magic uh, thing as well. But what's happened, I think what's happened there too is now Objective is, um, and then Objective, we, we tried with Secrets of Magic to yeah. bring back the big, the big Saturday night magic show. And, um, and it, it just, it just, it was too expensive for them. Uh. That was the line. I mean, the audiences loved it. We got great numbers on that show. Uh, but once again, it was a combination of um, the people that, you know, bought it, that, that you know asked us to do it and commissioned us to do it weren't there when we said here it is you know yeah. uh, and so these new people looked at it and went gosh this is expensive and we said yeah but that's remember in the that was the original conversation we were going to do something expensive and they went well we don't like to do expensive things anymore and so <laughs> i mean i i had i had bbc executives three times for that series tell me it's definitely commissioned yeah you're you're do it and then it not happening Mm. It's 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 you know I I would the one one day I was in the shower and I thought you know what I'm not gonna try and do telly anymore and like angels sang and the sun shined through it was quite <laughs> wonderful. We're talking still about TV magic. Obviously, something that's kind of been fairly fundamental in your career is um, the episode where you ran into the magic circle over a TV program. Yeah, oh, it's a spectacular bum rap. Um, <laughs> it's funny you know. Uh, some, I'll, I'll leave names out of it, but I got I got booked to do a lecture at the Magic Circle like uh, last year because mm. uh, somebody dropped out and somebody thought it would be funny for me to do it. And oh, the furor that it kicked up! <laughs> and I, I, I st it was 13 years ago. I stepped on stage and I said, uh, 
I said, you know, if, if I had murdered somebody, I'd be out of jail by now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, oh, the, the really the thing that annoys me the most out of it, and I've, I've you know, I've, I've got the guy online, I've have it all documented. I went on How Do They Do That to stop them from giving away the real secrets of magic. Myself yeah. and, a, and an amateur magician named uh, uh, Danny Greenstone. Um, the two of us sat down and made up ridiculous magic uh, because the program was determined to have it. And, uh, you know, after I left the program, some other kid came on and gave away, you know, all the card slides and double lifts. And, mm. uh, you know, all, the whole time I did it for, I don't know, about three years or something, you know, it was all nonsense that we made up and gave away. Yeah. Uh, and um, the magic, the, the, cat, the circle made a mistake then. And, it's a lot easier for them not to own up to their mistake. Uh, so I'm still out. But in the long and the short of it, it's actually, it actually helped you quite a lot, didn't it? Well, I'm not saying I didn't get great publicity out of it. And it's kind of fun being called the rogue magician. But, <laughs> but at the, also at the end of the day, you're, you're, you know, you're talking to a man that spent his entire life, um, you know, really his entire professional life in, in the study and execution mm. of magic. Uh, I have, um, I arguably have done more ticket, you know, fee-paying live shows I've produced with Monday Night Magic, which ran for eight years, yeah. uh, than, than any magician in, in, in certainly in the last couple of generations, or well, that's, I, I, well, with my generation anyway. Uh, I've hired more magicians uh, to, and I'm not talking about for magic shows. I'm talking about for shows that audience members can can just buy a ticket and 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 go to because. Yeah. That's actually a rarity in our profession. Uh, so I've, you know, I've, I've done all that for magic. I've, I've devoted my life for it. And to have the, the, the leading body of the nation that I've chosen to live in uh, snub me wrongfully, it, it is painful. It's not, no matter how much publicity I got out of it. Uh, yeah, that's true. Would you ever go back? I mean, if they, if they said, okay, sorry, we made a mistake, would you ever go back to the magic circle? Sure, in a flash, in, a, in an absolute flash. Uh, you know, they all keep saying to me, you know, if you reapply, you'll, we'll let you in. But I just, I just never did anything wrong. Mm. And, and nobody, nobody would look at it. When I, when I did that lecture at the, at the, at the circle, the, the council boycotted it. I mean, you know, it's like monkeys with their hands over their ears. <laughs> so we talk about the live performance. You mentioned Monday Night Magic. Um, do you want to go into mm. bit? bit more into that i mean how long did that run for and, and where did it run and what was the sort of audience you got in because that would have been more that public was, audience. it was fabulous well it was kind of fun too because it, it was one of the byproducts of being thrown out of the magic circle is that well i had mondays free <laughs> and um, uh there was a little theater in highgate called the hen and chickens and it yeah. held uh i don't know like 50 people really nice place to work really steep rake so you could you could you could do a card trick really mm. Uh, are and a big performing area as well uh, and a friend of mine ran it and there was theater in there all week and it was dark on a Monday so we rented it and the other the other thing too was that that was about the time in my career when I stopped doing the comedy clubs uh. and the reason I stopped doing the comedy clubs um, was because I was being offered corporate work which paid like literally 10 or 20 times more and I was I was actually starting getting a reputation for canceling gigs on little clubs because people were offering me just silly money. So um, I just decided that I'd stop doing the clubs because I just hated that reputation. Yeah. And I would say to all, I would say to all the club owners, I said, look, I'm the, I'm the guy to call 
if somebody if you need a last minute guy and they're the and the, the comedy clubs that i still do are the ones that do just that they're the old ones that have been around forever like downstairs at the king's head that uh and he knows that if he gets stuck he might give me a call and i might be available so that that's the only way i do the comedy clubs anymore but the problem with doing just corporate shows is that you don't have a place to be bad in uh. if you go into a crummy little comedy club and you try something out and you and you be you're kind of silly then it's okay but you can't do that at a big corporate event and so i i wanted a place where i could bang out new magic and um, so that was it. So I, I kind of pledged that I would do new tricks every week. And um, Anthony Owen was my magic advisor and then became my partner in all this. Uh, and then we found, and we, you know, we gave a lot of young performers their first breaks too, uh. you know, like, like Mark Paul and Danny Buckler and, yep. uh, and Andy Nyman. <laughs> um, you know, all of these guys cut their teeth uh, you know, it, in uh, in Monday Night Magic, and it was it was a great great time, and and then it, from there, uh, that theater that was crazy theater because you did it every week, but every two weeks the show would change. So you and you worked on the set of the show. So one week you'd go in and there'd be like a bed sit, and then the next week you'd go in and it'd be one well, it was an Elvis Presley fan <laughs> uh, fan uh, uh, club headquarters. We came in one week and the floor was dirt. <laughs> uh, it was like a graveyard, and uh, that, that was kind of wild. And we left there, and we uh, and we moved to a bigger theater in Highgate, uh, with, which is uh, uh, the Gatehouse Theater upstairs at the Gatehouse. Yeah. Um, and the, John and, and Katie, who uh, run that theater, who just started running it, were big fans of the show anyway, and they um, so they kind of pulled us over, and so we did it. We used to do like two 13-week runs a year, and we did it uh, for for eight years almost. Hmm. And then I stopped doing it. I haven't done it now full-time for, I don't know, ages now, six years. But um, uh, but I still we still do two a year in that theater. But saying that, we have such a fan base within the theater that it just goes in the theater um, mail-out, and it sells out all by itself. <laughs> we do a Christmas one. But the other, the other important thing about Monday Night Magic, one of the great things about doing it on Monday night was that um, we used to say in the advertisements that you used to be like just five pounds to get in yeah. or 20 pounds for a Magic Circle member, <laughs> uh, and uh, which we never, ever charged. But the idea was that we didn't want magicians in. Yeah, I was going to say, it's obviously very, very different doing um, you know, a magic show for lay people or non-magicians as opposed to magicians you get and especially especially if you're using it as a workshop to bang stuff out you know because hmm. um, uh, before i did that uh, mostly magic in battersea and, and that was a really nice show but it turned he stopped it because it, it just turned into a magic convention every night hmm. you know yeah so i and i used to turn magicians away if they came in groups i used to say to them look you can come but you have to bring you know two lay people with them hmm. with you i said you know you can always find one person. You've got to find people who don't like magic, and you got to bring them along. You can always, and I just said, you can always find one of them because you're married to them. <laughs> and it's also mainly the case when when you say you know people that don't like magic when they go to see a show like that, they tend to find that they do like magic. It tends to be the magician yeah. they don't like, um, and how they present the tricks exactly because they're performing to a magician. But yes, we'll, we'll leave those magicians nameless, shall we? <laughs> No, you've done other things as well. Um, you wrote a book, uh, which I think you initially sort of 
didn't have much success with and you released on your own, but now it's been picked up a lot more, hasn't it? Do you want to tell us a little well, bit about that? Actually saying that, you know, at the moment now, this is the thing I'm, I'm most proud of, 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 of all my work, really. Uh, I wrote a, I wrote a, a fantasy adventure novel. I, I basically wrote it for my son, really. I'd, I'd write a thousand words a day and I'd, I'd read them to him in bed with a, with a little camping lamp on my head. And that's where I'd do my edits, you know? And uh, when I finished it, I, I really liked it. Um, so I sent it out to a, a handful of publishers and didn't hear much back from them. Uh, and then uh, my personal life went uh, very crazy. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a widower. And uh, so it just went in a drawer. And uh, when my life finally calmed down again, actually it was because of podcasting. Um, I discovered podcasting from, um, oh, what's his name? So, you know, the Magic Podcast in Britain. And I just thought, how cool is that? You know, this like anybody can have like a radio station. And then I found yeah. this website called patiobooks.com mm. uh, where authors read their own work and podcast it uh, as an audiobook, uh, serialized. Uh, and the website takes donations and gives you 75%. And I just thought, well, it's just lying around this book. And I kind of liked it. And so I, I did it. Mm. And it, just went ballistic on the net. I ended up with you know over twenty thousand subscribers, and out of the three hundred books on the website, mine was voted number one. And then right. the publishers, the publishers got in touch with me, and they'd say, you know, could you send us a manuscript? And I'd write them back, and I'd say, have a good look, have a good look in your bins. I think you'll find a manuscript there. And I and so the hardback came out last year, and it was published by Harper Collins, which is the biggest publisher in the country. Yeah. Uh, we, we did a hardback, uh, a signed, numbered special edition run, and uh, we sold that out. Uh, and the paperback just came out uh, in August. Um, I spent all day yesterday in Harrods, a selling book. I sold my whole consignment in two hours. It was just great fun. <laughs> uh, makes, makes me wish I sold Svengali decks over there. <laughs> and, uh, so that's really good. I, I, I just had a conversation with, uh, well, I went to a major newspaper today about uh, getting it into a, 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 a program for uh, books for schools because it's for a 12 year old so it's it's just going gangbusters i'm having a great time now you've got to obviously plug the name of it and where you can get it from I okay it is I, I didn't didn't i mention that i usually no, you didn't. mention that <laughs> four minutes so the book is called shadow magic and it's a fantasy adventure uh, and it's i mean it's a you know most of my readers and fans who've sent me emails are, are adults but uh, it's you know for 12 and up uh there's no swearing or anything and uh um, it's a fantasy adventure uh, based on Irish mythology, uh, and uh, you can get it on Amazon or in, uh, you know, any good bookstore. Um, well, Waterstones uh, has them, and Forbidden Planet here in London uh, yeah. has them. Had yeah. it in the window, which was quite nice. <laughs> um, but Amazon's always the best bet. If you're listening on a computer, you could you could click on Amazon while you listen to this. You can, yes. There'll also be a link at the bottom of the podcast as well. So in, in the UK, it's Amazon.co.uk. And in America, it's on Amazon.com. And if you don't like it, I'll give you your money back. <laughs> and I'm serious about that. Money back guarantee as well. Well, I gave a money back guarantee uh, at Monday Night Magic for eight years, and I only had to pay once. That's not bad. <laughs> we, had, we had a guy do an arm chopper, and when he put the girl's arm in it, he actually cut her. Ow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, oh, but she didn't want her money back. No, it was a, I had a comedian that did a routine about killing puppies and somebody wanted their money back on that one. So even chopping somebody's arm off. is fine. <laughs> I, I mean, I truly believe in my book. And I think if somebody cares that much to 
to put the receipt in the post and write to me and say this was a waste of time, of course I'll give them their money back. You know, who wouldn't? But it, it must be a very proud thing to actually have a book published, uh, especially in hardback and and softback as well. Um, oh, absolutely! I, oh, I can't. It's can't tell you. Can't tell you how much fun I'm having. I mean, it's you, you know you, you realize when you're a performer that all of your work is uh, it's fleeting. You know, it's tr it's it's. It's you're just it's just a moment in time, mm. and it's and it's done, and it, which is quite lovely about about it too. You know, I mean, you you do it, you get instant feedback, and and you know it. it but uh, the performances themselves don't last, you know. Mm. But a book, is, you know, this this book is going to be on people's shelves long after I'm gone. It's yeah. quite it's quite yeah. funky. Yeah. Getting back to magic again, um, obviously, sort of magic conventions and just generally doing things like that. Do you go to many magic conventions? Just as a not as a performer, but yeah, you know, I, do, I don't, I don't as much as I used to, uh, which is a bit of a shame. I've always had trouble with uh, with the timings of both uh, the IBM and uh, and Blackpool, and especially Blackpool. I haven't been to Blackpool in ages, mm. but I always I always have just so much work floating around. Oh no! Actually, that's not true. Blackpool is Blackpool cuts into my ski time. That's what oh. Blackpool does. So it's my birthday and my ski time <laughs> I, I, uh, is is Blackpool. And then uh, the IBM initially, somebody once told me that the reason why the IBM initially was at this time of year was was so that the people, the, the performers that were doing their summer seasons could go. Mm. And you know. It, it's kind of like daylight savings time is done for farmers. You know, people just—it doesn't make any difference anymore. I—I I, I really think that the—I think the IBM should do what the Americans do and have a, a big one in the summer. You know, yeah. when when we all go and, uh, and the kids will be out of school. And uh, but that's—I mean, that's not neither here nor there. I'm sure I'd go more if it was in the summer. But uh, um, I go to magic conventions, you know, when I can. I, you know, I—I I often host the. Uh, I often host the close-up show at uh, Ron McMillan's day in London, yeah. but uh, and but once again I missed it this year because at the last minute somebody offered me some work and so I, I just kind of ran it. Yeah, which is the problem if you're doing it for a living, you you tend to take those things as opposed to um, going yeah. to a convention, really, don't you? Yeah, and then you know you, you go to a convention and you know you see some good tricks, but you know you, you had a headache for three days after. <laughs> you know? So talking about actually getting to a magic convention, you are coming to the IBM uh, British Ring convention at Southport this year, though, aren't you? I I am I am I'm uh, and I'm just it'd be nice too because I'm just doing I'm just doing like 15 20 minutes in a show, so I'm not I'm not preparing any lectures I'm not doing anything I'm just going to get on stage and go wham and then put my feet up and and enjoy you know for the rest of the day <laughs> you know I, it is interesting about it is nice and i'm and i'm gonna stay for a couple of days too but i, I always find about magic conventions and maybe my brain just you know doesn't work as well as it used to but i always find if i can if i can just go to a magic convention and come away with one trick mm. i've 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 sussed it you know mm. that's it so i i think i'll just i'll stay at the convention until I find that trick and then I'll uh, and then I'll go. <laughs> so, you know, you know what trick I did recently? You know what trick I did? It. We did a Monday Night Magic just a couple weeks ago, and uh, you know what trick I did? I did breaking the sound barrier. Right. Do you remember, do you remember that trick? I don't think so. Audience member calls out the name of a card, and you take you take the card out of the deck, and you and you say to them, you hand them the card, and then you put the cards back in in the pack, and then you say, look put this card in the middle of the pack. You know, there's no way I can get to it. It's a, it's in the pack. 
And so while it's in the pack, they actually push it in so it's right in the middle. And you blow up, you blow up a balloon, and then you hold the balloon and the deck of cards in your hand, and you take out a dart and you pop the balloon, and uh, their card is in your hand. Um, and this is in Tarbell's. And it was just a, a lovely old trick. <laughs> I just remember thinking, this, and literally, I'm talking like 30 years ago. Yeah. And I did it at Monday Night Magic, and the audience gasped. <laughs> I couldn't believe how well it went down. But that one's in Tarbell, so that is a book that is worth reading. Oh, every magician should have the full set of Tarbells all the time. Yeah. You know, even if you don't get tricks out of it, which you will, what you'll get is the is where the ideas where all the tricks that you know came from. And it's it's fascinating reading. It's just wonderful reading. It's just full of great stuff. And I think the other thing is with a lot of books is that, you know, people have books and, you know, they learn various tricks and you show them a trick and they go, where's that from? You say, well, it's in Tarbell or it's in this book that they probably have, which they just haven't ever read. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of famous for doing this, this slim slide trick. I don't know if you ever saw me do it. Yes, I did. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And it's, but it's just cards across. Yeah. And it's right, it's right out of Tarbell's. And it's, it's that great principle. Of, it's, it's just a great idea. <laughs> it's right out of Tarbell. I'm a real big fan of the old, of the old magazines as well. Have you ever read any of the old Phoenix magazines? Um, I haven't read Phoenix. I've read most of Jinx. I've read most of Syzygy. Um, so I've got a lot of the old. <sighs> yeah, well, Jinx, uh, uh, Phoenix is uh, compiled mm. in lovely, lovely leather-bound stuff. And it's great. And, you know, you talk about exposure and, and, and magicians backbiting and stuff. There's a there's a thing in the back of every every issue of the Phoenix. And it was I can't remember what it was called, but he was like he called himself the wizard. He was an anonymous commenter on what was, you know, the the the, the gossip man of magic. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, you could just you could rip all of them out and paste them into magic, the current <laughs> issues of magic. And people, you know, people wouldn't know that it wasn't you know exactly the same conversation you know <laughs> uh the, the more things change the more they stay the same yeah exactly <laughs> but one of the things i love about the, those early things is they have an innocence to them that you know magic is gets so complicated and clever i just worry that that uh you know i remember you reading a jinx and it says you know if you see somebody walking around and, and his and his pocket you know, is open, you know, just put a playing card in there. Yeah. And then later on, just force a card on him and say, look in your pocket. Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's, and that's like super duper strong magic. But the problem is, is that nobody will put that in a book today because it's so old hat. Hmm. And I, I just worry that these young magicians, they come in and, and they're, they don't get the basics because everything's this clever new stuff. Mm, yeah and a lot yeah a lot of the very very simple stuff um i have seen some magic on tv and i've kind of looked back and you know it's in it's the very first trick out of syzygy yeah it's just lovely there's a lovely there's a lovely trick in uh i think it's in the jinx and i've always wanted to try and do it but it's a it's 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 bank night but with a packet of gum so so you, you say to the audience look all you know this is the long the long strips of gum you know like uh like juicy fruit was yeah you say to them in there's five in a pack they say look in four of these i've just cut up a piece of cardboard and wrapped it back up again and one of them one of them has gum in it <laughs> and then you let people pick the gum and then you say okay open up just put it in your mouth and then everybody has cardboard in their mouth except for you and you get the gum <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was a lovely idea but again it's an old principle in an old book that most people possibly aren't aware of or have even looked at so 
And it's a, it's the kind of th it's the kind of thing that if I actually were to to put that on the market, no one would even know it was there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing I'm bringing my my uh, uh, a shed load of my books with me as well. So uh, you can you can buy my novel, which will be something different to, to leave a magic convention with. Yes, you can leave with a non-magic book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, how, how wonderful to have a have a book that uh, you don't feel guilty about not reading. <laughs> Okay, well, brilliant. Thank you very, very much for your time. Um, enjoy yourself in Southport, um, and hopefully you'll find that trick that um, makes you go home. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. John Lenahan will be appearing at the IBM British Ring Convention in Southport later this month, and you can find all the links mentioned in this podcast on our site, www.magicconventionguide.com. The IBM British Ring Convention takes place this September 23rd through to the 27th in Southport. You can find out all the information about the British Ring Convention either on our site or by going to www.britishring.org.uk and you can find out all the information about this convention and other conventions on our website www.magicconventionguide.com.